Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Chris, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Man, you thank you guys so much. You may be seated, and I just want the record to show that it was Chris that slid into my DM. All right, let's just let the record show uh, that he was the one. And so, hey, Pastor Chris, I noticed that when you asked everyone, how many of you had heard Pastor Alberto speak last time he was here? There's like five people. That's because everybody else that heard me speak, they done left after that, amen? So hopefully, no. Hey, uh, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I know Pastor Chris uh, just really honored, and I really do believe that honor is the currency of heaven. Not flattery, but I believe that honor is the currency of heaven. And um, I just am so blessed by Pastor Chris and Vanessa. They've just been such incredible people in our lives. He's like a, he's like a, he is a spiritual son, and I know you guys are blessed. I was here when he was the youth pastor. I was here when he was the executive pastor. I'm here now when he's the lead pastor, and I believe that when I come back, he's gonna be like the mayor. I don't know what's next, and so... Um, Uh, But this is true. I've said this with him, and I'm not just saying it. um, And I know you had to put me last in the order because of where I I understand that. But uh, Pastor Chris is one of my most favorite speakers to see live. And uh, I just stole his sermon that he preached, and I'm preaching that at my church on Sunday. So I need those notes. Amen. Can we give it up one more time for your pastors, ladies and gentlemen? Hey, last I was here, I was here for a marriage conference like about a year and a half ago, and uh, it was really cool because my family is here with me. Uh, My wife was here with me last time, and this time we brought all of the kids with us, and so we have four kids, and so if you didn't know, we're Latino, and so it was a whole, but some of y'all get that later, and uh, we brought all of our kids, and we're staying at the Great Wolf Lodge. I promise I wasn't at the hospital, and uh, I've never been there before. Has anybody ever been to the Great Wolf Lodge? That place is like, I don't know, like raging waters on steroids. Like you go in and then you give everybody a wristband. Like they gave my kids a wristband. Man, I let them loose. I haven't seen them since yesterday morning. And so, but I, but I know that they're in the building somewhere. And so my wife is with the kids. She'll be here tomorrow. We are excited. Hey, um, Pastor Chris shared an incredible talk um, as it pertains to this house and uh You know, my side is going to be a little bit of on the technical side, but I also believe it's going to be a little bit prophetic in very in its nature. Tomorrow, I'm going to be sharing in all three services. And uh, usually, as a pastor goes and travels and speaks and speaks in another house, oftentimes we share a message that we've already shared. But I really believe that God has downloaded and deposited a message uh, for this house that I've never shared anywhere else. I just bought it online, but I think it's going to be great. And so, <laughs> Amazon Prime, it got there the next day. Hey. <laughs> But uh, I'm I'm excited, but I wanted to share uh, today a little bit about healthy leadership, healthy spirituality, because I believe that healthy leaders build healthy churches. I believe that healthy uh, leaders build healthy marriages, and healthy leaders build healthy families and healthy communities, and so on and so forth. And so I just wanted to share with you for the next couple of hours just uh, 10 things as it pertains to being healthy and building a healthy culture. And I'm gonna read one verse, and that's necessarily gonna be the space or the place that we park, but it's sort of gonna be the catalyst for the rest of this talk. It's gonna be the launch pad for what I sense that God wants to share with us. So I encourage you to take notes. They say that you forget about, is it 85%? I can't remember, I didn't write it down, but I think it's like 85% of the things that you don't write down. And so I just encourage you to take, take notes uh, as Pastor Chris shares, anybody shares, it's always good. But I wanted to read out of the Bible because I believe that that's a great place to start. 
I wanted to read out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. It's a major global city. It's a port city. It's a creative city. It's a city that's doing great things. It's actually a city that you would think would be really opposed to the gospel message of Christ, but it is the place where Paul has, in fact, planted a church. And I think it's very encouraging and very interesting the way that the Apostle Paul opens this letter because the letter is full of so many deep and rich teachings and truth and key moments. But there is something to be said the way that Paul opens up this letter. And as you look at the different epistles, you see that Paul has other moments in where he kind of refers to the same thing and how he opens some of his letters. But there's about four things that we can extract from just this one verse, and it's going to be in my first thought. So I'm going to read it here, and we're going to pray. But this is Ephesians 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we come before you tonight. God, I'm just so encouraged by what you're doing in this city, for what you're doing in this room, what you're doing in this church and in the hearts of the people in this room. And God, I just pray that for the next few moments that I would simply decrease and that you would increase. And I pray that the very words that are being spoken in heaven this evening will be spoken here in this room. Father, wherever we are at on this spiritual journey, whether we've been serving you since day one, whether you're like our ride or die, or whether we're sort of on the edge of diving into serving or leadership, or we're on staff, wherever we are at, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and that your word would do, would do what it says it's going to do, and that's reap a harvest in our lives. And so, Father, I thank you for this house. I thank you for these incredible group of servant leaders. I pray blessings over them. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. I don't know about you, but have you ever had those moments in your life where you wish you can go back to a younger you and have a conversation of some of the things that you were going to experience? Like, do you ever wish you can go back and say, hey, hey, man, don't do that. Don't date her, man. Don't do that, dog. No, okay, I'm just the only one. Somebody raised their hand right now and they were married. Who was that? No, I'm just kidding. But oftentimes I go through certain circumstances and certain situations and I wish that I could go back and tell myself something because very, very rarely do we ever go through a situation possessing the knowledge to turn into wisdom to apply and come out better. Usually we have to go through a difficult moment. Then we come out on the other side with the wisdom. I wish that I would have had that wisdom before I went into that situation in the first place. But if I could go back to my younger self, if I, I mean, I'm only 25, so if I could go back... No, I'm just kidding. I'm 39. I'm about to be 40, y'all. Amen. Um, but if I could go back to my younger self as a leader, as a future pastor, as a future husband, as a future father, if I could go back and tell myself anything, I think that I would tell myself this, Alberto, you're going to need to be more confident in you. Alberto, you need to be more confident in the God who has called you. Alberto, you're going to need to be more confident in God in general and what he's leading you to. Alberto, you're going to have to trust him more in the seasons that he leads you through. Because sometimes it will be like the green pastures and other times it will be like walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Alberto, as you go through different seasons, you're going to need to learn to enjoy the journey more than you're looking forward to the destination. Alberto, as you go on, I need you to learn to rest more to love the people that you lead with, but essentially to be more confident in the God that has called you to be. And the reason that I love Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, is because Paul sort of exudes this confidence. 
And initially it can be mistaken with arrogance, but Paul in that first verse, he is declaring some pretty profound things. He's declaring some things that I think that us, not only as leaders, but as followers of Jesus, as followers of the way, as those that possess the Holy Spirit within us and have been called into this glorious light should possess. He says this, Paul declared four things. He said, this is who I am. He said, I'm Paul. He says, this is what I do. I am an apostle. This is who I do it for, God's holy people, and this is my authority, Jesus. It's like Paul came into the gang-banging scene and he let everybody know what set he was from and who he represented. He stepped on the scene with a sense of boldness and a sense of confidence, not arrogance, but confidence. And I share that because Paul knew who he was and Paul knew who he wasn't. And I think as leaders, we need to know who we are and we need to know who we're not. First things first, let me tell you who you are. You are a son and a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What you do is a byproduct of your being in him. And if we're not careful to walk in the confidence of the image of the Imago Dei that we were created in, we'll soon find our identity in everything we're leading in or serving in. And if you're not careful, you'll always be looking for acceptance in everything you do instead of recognizing that you can work from a place of acceptance. See, I think more than anything, God is calling his church, his people, his followers, his leaders to walk in a newfound sense of confidence. It is very interesting to me that in Ephesians chapter 6, out of all the things that the Apostle Paul says that we are to model our spiritual war attire after, that he doesn't say you are to model the spirit, you are to take on spiritual weapon that should model that of a, an angel or that of a Christian soldier. He says that you are to take on the weapons of warfare that bear the image of a Roman soldier. It's very interesting to me that out of all the illustrations that Paul could have used, out of all the imagery, that out of all of the things that Paul could have suggested to compare our spiritual warfare weapons to, he uses a pagan soldier for us to represent. And the reason is, why would Paul use that? Because if you were to break down Ephesians 6 in the original language as it pertains to the belt of truth and standing firm, what, you break that down with Paul is saying that you are to stand so confident that your confidence could be mistaken with arrogance, but it's not arrogance, it's confidence. Why would Paul use a Roman soldier? Because a Roman soldier could stand tall and proud. He could stand with confidence. Why? Because he knew who he represented. He knew who was behind him, he knew who fought alongside of him, and he knew who went before him. He knew that it was Caesar behind him, his soldiers who represented Caesar aside from him, and that he was conquering in Caesar's name. Come on, as believers of Jesus, we know who is behind us, we know who lives in us, and we know who goes before us. Therefore, we ought to walk with a greater sense of confidence in all the things that God calls us to. Part of knowing who you are not and who you are means that you need to also accept your weakness as part of your uniqueness. Listen to what the Apostle Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your strength. No, he didn't say that. For my power is made perfect in your perfection. No, he didn't say it. For my power is made perfect in that post that you put with that fake filter and then fake eyelash. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Somebody just took off their earrings about to rush the stage. I felt it. But he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Somewhere along the lines of the history of the church, we have missed it. 
we have missed the very fact that Paul says, look, if I'm going to boast about anything, if I'm going to talk about anything, I'm going to talk about my weakness. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be raw and I'm going to be uncut because it's in that moment where God gets the glory and I find my strength. Somewhere along the lines, we think that we've missed it. God will get the glory and use you in your weakness and your brokenness and not your strength. Because if he lets you go out in your strength, it wouldn't require him. It would be all you and there would be no glory. Some of you are leading not in a place of glory, but in the place of the flesh. And God wants to bring you to glory because we go from glory to glory. And so even learning to accept our weaknesses, being confident of who you are, being confident of who you are not. Are y'all still with me today? See, because I think that when you know who you are and you accept who you are, you're going to thrive in a grace. I saw what I did there. You're going to thrive. <laughs> You'll get it later. Dad joke. Oh, my mom was 40. Anyways, you're going to thrive in a grace zone or in a lane of grace because God gives each of you a measure of grace. He gives you a thriving grace. Now, did I just say that? Is, that, is there any biblical backup for that? Yes. In Romans 12, 3 of the Amplified, he says, for by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of himself and of his importance and ability than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Why? As God has appointed to each a degree of faith and a purpose designed for service. God has given me a measure of faith and he's given me a, 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 he's giving me a measure of grace in a lane to thrive in. So when you know who you are, when you know who you aren't, when you walk in the confidence that God has called you to walk in, you now get to be in alignment and thrive in this grace that he has called you to thrive in. There is a lane that God has for you and the lane that only you can walk in, a lane where you can find your purpose, where you can find your grace, where you can find the faith and you can find the strength to continue to move forward. Which brings me to my second thought. As leaders and as followers, we need to learn to stay in our lane. Stay in your lane. I'm from LA. I'm from LA. I live in Bakersfield now. I lived there for five years. And uh, so... I don't know at what point do I stop saying that I'm from LA. Like how many years do you have to be somewhere? Like when I meet people, they're like, where are you from? I'm like, well, I mean, technically uh, I live in Bakersfield, but I'm originally from LA. I don't know how long that was going to work, but um, I don't know. And, and, and this can be comparable. Driving in LA is insane. Possibly like driving in the Bay, driving in other places, driving in traffic is insane. I don't know if you've ever been in those moments when you get in the car, you're feeling real good. You got some worship on. I don't know what you listen to. Hillsong, Bethel, I don't know, different strokes, different folks, whatever you listen to, Mosaic, but you got your worship on. You're singing. You think you sound like Aretha, but you really sound like Aretha after she died. And so you're just sitting there driving. <laughs> See, I wish, I wish I could sing, but I know my lane. Amen. When I sing in the shower, the shower talks back. It says, shut up. And so <laughs> I'm like, these walls have ears and eyes. And so they should make a movie. Anyways. You ever been in that place where you're driving and you're on the freeway and you're just going good. Worship is going. You're all up in the moment. I mean, you could be like Enoch, gone, no more. That's how glorious this moment is. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden your lane stops. And not only does your lane stop, but the lanes next to you stop. And you know you have to be somewhere. And so your lane stops. And then all of a sudden what happens? You look to the right and to the left. Everybody else's lane starts to move, but your lane. Anybody ever been there? And so now you ain't saved anymore. So now you didn't change the station. You got Lil Wayne on, Tupac, Biggie. I don't know what it is, but you didn't got that on. Your hat was forward. Now it's backwards. You know what I'm saying? You weren't even wearing lashes, but you just put them on, curled them and everything. And now all of a sudden you get gangster. And so now what happens is, is you want to switch lanes. 
But you know that you don't have that tint on fleek, right? So it can see everything in your car. You can look up because if you look up at the mirror, what's going to happen? They're going to know and they're going to speed up. God forbid you follow the law and use your blinker and they're not going to let you go. And so you get real gangster with it because you're already listening to gangster music and now you go, ah, you skirt into the other lane, right? And then what happens when you get in that lane? Stops. Somebody done got pulled over. They just said it right now. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's tomorrow's sermon. And so... And then it stops. And then now you get a little bit more crazy and you start marking cars. All right, there's a wide four, a white Ford 2T MY036 is the license plate. If that thing moves in front of the focus, then I know I'm gonna jump over there and I'm gonna go over there, I'm gonna go there. And then I don't know about you, but you find yourself going in and out of lanes and in and out of lanes trying to get to your destination. And then when you finally get to your exit, you realize that the car that was in front of you in the original lane that you started in actually got there ahead of you. And you realize if you would have just stayed in your lane, you would have got there in the time that you needed to get there, but you spent too much time comparing your lane to everybody else's lane, and you jumped back and forth into other lanes. And so because of that, you'd have missed your exit by the time that you needed to. Uh, let me tell you something. As believers, we have this thing called comparison issue. It's really a neck issue. And oftentimes as leaders, we find ourselves constantly comparing our ministry to them, our marriage to them, our children to them, and we're always weighing it up against ours. And comparison does a few things. Number one, it doesn't produce any fruit in your life. It's not even part of the fruit of the Spirit. But comparison creates superiority, meaning you feel better than others, or inferiority, meaning that you feel beneath others. And what I love about Paul is that Paul didn't struggle with this, and if he did, Scripture isn't clear. But listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 13. He says, we will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work God has given us, which includes our working with you. So basically, Paul says, listen to this. I'm not going to boast about what fulanito de Tad is doing. I'm not going to boast about what Pepe is doing. I'm not going to boast about what else is going on on the gram or what else is going on on TikTok. I'm not going to boast about The only thing that I have authority and the right to boast about is what God is doing in my grace lane and what he's doing through me and in me in the ministry that he has called me to. And we have to be careful that we don't find ourselves comparing ourselves because another thing that comparison leads to is jealousy. I can't tell you, there's a lot of believers that struggle with jealousy. Pastors that struggle with jealousy. Leaders that struggle with jealousy. Volunteers that struggle with jealousy. Because of constantly complaining. And the only way you counter jealousy is through honor. Not flattery, but through honor. Sometimes you got to fake it before you make it. Sometimes you got to fake the, you got to fake it, you got to fake the honoring until your heart aligns with the scriptures, until your heart aligns with heaven, and it's actually something that you're walking out. And you, one of the things that I've realized about leadership, even amongst pastors and leaders, that uh, proximity is an issue. It's a lot easier for me to honor somebody, not be jealous of somebody in Wichita, Kansas, than it is in the pew next to me, because of proximity. But imagine if us in the church, we were known as being the greatest at honoring one another, at loving one another, at encouraging one another. When you see somebody doing better than you or what you deem is better than you, that you start giving glory to God because you don't know their backstory. You don't know what they came from. You don't know what they went through to get to where they're at. Because we're constantly comparing ourselves to people at face value, at screen value, never knowing the story that you were never intended to know anyways. And so being people that honor, are you with me? Number three, I got two minutes left. All right, here we go. Number three, as leaders as followers, you got to learn to be faithful with your talents or with your talent. God will never hold you accountable for talents that he did not give you. 
He will never hold you accountable to someone else's talents, but he will only hold you accountable to what's in your hand. What is in your hand that God has wanted to use? What is in your hand that you've been sitting on? There are some people in this room that you are on the precipice of a breakthrough in your life spiritually. You've been teetering, tottering. Whether do I cross over from the shallow to the deep? And God is saying, what are you waiting for? It's time to go from ankle deep to waist deep to get submerged in the things that I have for you. Being faithful with what he's, some of you in here, you have a gift you carry an anointing, and you might have to start scrubbing toilets, but as you scrub the toilets, maybe one day it'll bring you on the platform to give him glory then and to give him glory now. Yeah. It's funny, you know how I started being a pastor, a youth pastor? I started off by being on the security team at Inner City Church in L.A. I said, I want to work with youth. They said, great, here's your security jacket, and here's the thing to pick up trash. I said, your mom. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought it, I thought it, okay, but I didn't say it, okay, because I was in Bible college and your boy wasn't trying to get expelled, amen. <laughs> but it's being faithful with what's in your hand. Number four, as leaders, as followers, you got to be willing to forgive yourself. Freely you've received, therefore freely you give. You cannot give what you yourself have not received. Some of you, it's very easy for you to share the gospel message with your coworker in the marketplace, at the gym, wherever it is. It's easy for you to talk about the redemptive power of Christ and the cross and the resurrection and the blood and the atonement and the forgiveness of sin, but it's a lot harder for you to actually accept that forgiveness in your life. And I find that the higher we go up in the chain and whatever that means to you, the more God begins to use us, the harder it is to sometimes forgive ourselves of our issues. The harder it is for us to walk in the forgiveness that he has given us. In 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16, it says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. This is the Apostle Paul already saved, already filled with the Holy Ghost, already had his Damascus Road experience, already planting churches, and he's saying, of who I am the worst of sinners, but for that reason, I was shown mercy. Why? So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Some of you in this room, you struggle to forgive yourself. Some of you in this room, the reason you haven't stepped into the fullness of what God has called you to is because what you've been carrying hasn't been grace, it's been shame. See, Paul says, I was given mercy. He didn't say I was given grace. He said I was given mercy. That, mean that, that means that God withheld the punishment that was due to me so that he can get glory for the story that he was writing through me. See, we forget the scriptures where it says, although a righteous man fall seven times. It does not say, although an unrighteous man falls seven times. Although a righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. Let me tell you something. Seven is the number of completion, but eight is the number of new beginnings. I fell on the seventh, but I got up on the eighth, and I kept going. And I kept stepping into everything that God, the enemy in this, I'm telling you, some of you in this room, the enemy is trying to keep you locked down in condemnation, what does not come from the spirit. My question is, what spirit have you been listening to? Because it sure as heck ain't the Holy Spirit. Walking in the freedom and the forgiveness. I was the worst of sinners. Paul is already saved and he makes these bold declarations. Us in the church, we hide from these moments. This is the attractional value to our faith is that we're authentic. We're real. When people say, I don't go to church, you're full of hypocrites. You're darn right. And I'm the biggest one myself. That's why I need Jesus to save me from myself. Let me take you to a place where there's more hypocrites.
Chris, some of these people are like, he needs to return that sermon on Amazon. I'm not liking it, Chris. Not at all. Not at all. He needs to get rid of that prime. It's not working. As leaders, number five, as followers of Jesus, as followers of the way, don't make decisions on an emotional high or an emotional low. Jeremiah then said in Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, I'm going to tell you one of the biggest, I think, I think for me as a lead pastor, as a pastor just in general, one of the things that I've seen that has been the biggest deficit within the context of the church has been emotional health. Because what happens is, is we use this thing, well, Jesus filled me with the Holy Spirit. I'm good. I just read my Bible. I'm good. Yeah, but at some point, the Bible that you read, you got to live out. And so oftentimes what happens is, is that we make horrible decisions because we allow our emotions to dictate our direction. Let me tell you, God gave us emotions for the enjoyment of life, but not for the navigation of it. And a lot of people, you make decisions on emotional highs and emotional lows. The reason that you have not got deeper into your spirituality, the reason that you have not got deeper in your discipleship, the reason that you are not progressively becoming like Jesus is because anytime someone brings correction in your life, you get your feelings hurt and you say, that ain't from God. I'm going to do my thing. How's my thing working out for you? And so God wants to holistically bring health, as Pastor Chris said. He doesn't just want to heal certain areas of our life. He wants to heal every area and every aspect of our life and bring emotional health. And so we got to be careful that we don't make decisions on emotional high and emotional lows. Come on, how many of you didn't send that text, angry is all outdoors? How many of you didn't send that email right before bed? You woke up in the morning and you were like, oh my gosh, what did I do? You done messed up. That's what you did. See, but God calls us to, to mature in every aspect and every facet of our lives, even in our emotions. And I think as leaders, we have to be careful that we're making decisions that are founded and grounded in truth and not in our emotions. I can't tell you how many people, see, I can say because I'm not in my church. I can't tell you how many people I've seen within the context of the ministry walk away from ministry, walk away from serving, walk away from church because they were upset or they were angry or they made a decision on an emotional high and on an emotional low. This doesn't even just translate into the church. This translates into your marriage, into your children, into every aspect, into your business, into the marketplace. This is something that us as believers, we really need to work on. And even as leaders, learning to get our emotions in check. See, when you take every word, when you take all thoughts captive and you bring it under the submission of Christ, do you know what that means? That means that you're taking every thought and every emotion you have and you are saying, I don't know if this is right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring it to Christ. I'm going to bring it to the author and the finisher of my faith. I'm going to bring it to truth. I'm going to bring it to the word and see if there is alignment in it. And if there is no alignment in it, then I know that it is off. Number six. As leaders, as human beings, as followers of Jesus, you also have to know your season. There's different seasons. You know, Psalm 23 is actually one of my favorite scriptures. It's actually one of my favorite verses. And um, I know it's like in every leaflet at a funeral home, but listen, I love it. I love Psalm 23. And in the beginning, David starts off with the Lord is my shepherd. And as David goes on, to me, as, as I look at the scriptures and the implications there, David is really describing essentially the different types of seasons that he has gone through. That sometimes a season is like being in the green pastures. 
Sometimes the seasons is like being by the still waters. And in other seasons, it's like walking through the valley of the shadow of death. In some seasons, it's like I'm surrounded by my enemies, but yet I know my God makes a table before me. See, but in the thing of it all is that David never jumps off in any of those seasons. And when, when it was in the green pastures, he didn't say, I tithed more, and I served more, and I gave more. And then he doesn't say, oh, but when I was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I didn't step away from it. I really didn't know if God was in it. I didn't really couldn't trust it. I kind of backed away. He couldn't because in the beginning, he said, the Lord is my shepherd. And you have to understand that in John 10, Jesus breaks down the three overarching um, attributes of a shepherd. And a shepherd is always near, a shepherd always guides, and a shepherd always protects. So you need to know that every season of life and every season of ministry that you go through, that the good shepherd is near, that the good shepherd is guiding you, and that the good shepherd will protect you through it all. Understanding this, that the good shepherd will even lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't say you want to be like Jesus. Don't sing you want to be like Jesus. And when he leads you through the wilderness and you encounter the enemy or el cucuy in your face and you wonder where he's at. Because even as followers of Jesus, we're going to be led through difficult seasons. Oftentimes we think that we're absent, we should be absent from those. Or those, gonna, those things are going to be void, even in your serving. There's going to be seasons where you have to give more. There's going to be seasons where it's a lot more coasting. But at the end of the day, know he's your shepherd and know the commitment that you made to follow Jesus in obedience to him wherever he leads you or wherever he takes you. You know what I also love about seasons? Is that even if you miss an opportunity in a season, the beauty about seasons is seasons always come back. Season will always come back around. And there's some people in this room, you felt like you missed out your season. You feel like you had a misstep in your season and you feel like your season is over. Your season is not over. It was just put on the shelf, but it's coming back around for you to make the right decision. It's coming back. That's the beauty about seasons, but we need to know our seasons. Number seven, it's going to sound harsh. Submit or split. Submit or split. A leader should be the best follower. This is the biggest tension in the church. Even in, in workplaces and all these things, submit or split, that sounds harsh. If you can't submit to the vision of the house, if you can't submit to the spiritual authority and oversight that is of that house, if you struggle with that, if you gossip about it, if you complain about it, some of you have been complaining and you've been complaining to God, but you don't understand that the thing you used to cry for and pray for is the very place that you are standing in. Because we're finicky like that as humans. How many of you, I've found that, so I'm praying to God, I'm asking God, I'm pleading with God to do something, God does something, I'm standing in the middle of it and I'm complaining about it. Because I didn't have the emotional depth to handle the spiritual depth that was given to me. And so, I, I, I've been in all kinds of churches, all kinds of churches, big churches, small churches, all kinds, and, and, and this has always been, I could never have understood how there is always that group of people that stay at the church, although they hate everything about it. They don't hate the color of the carpet, although they picked it 75 years ago. <laughs> they hate the name. They hate the pastor. They hate the youth pad. They don't hate everything. They didn't even hate the devil eggs that they brought to the potluck. <laughs> but they continue to stay in it and be miserable because God hasn't released me. <laughs> God hasn't released you. What are you looking for? The unlock button? The panic button? The eject button? 
You know what? I've heard, I'm just going to be real. This might sound, I've heard people say, well, God hasn't released me. Really? How are you doing? I'm miserable. <laughs> and God hasn't released you. Nope. <sighs> How long have you been miserable? 15 years. Oh, I think God done released you 16 years ago. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You didn't realize the 21 day fast was about you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's messed up. Don't, Chris, you can say it at my church. You can say it at my church. <laughs> nah, but really, I've had to live this side of my own personal life as a pastor, as a staff pastor, as a campus pastor. Learning to submit or split. You know that sometimes, not in this house, okay, just not in this house. <laughs> not in this house, what I'm about to say. Sometimes God will put you under bad leadership. To show you what not to be. To show you what not to do. To show you that that's really you, so he needs to burn it out of your heart. If you read, if you read, if you read the story of Gene Edwards, A Tale of Three Kings, Gene Edwards, is, it's a phenomenal book. Gene Edwards has this argument that he makes where he says that it could quite possibly be that the reason that God put David under a king Saul was not because he was mad at him, was not because he hated him, was not because he's this tyrannical leader. It could just be that the reason that God placed David under a King Saul, because would dare, let me know how to speak. Stay tuned. <laughs> was, did, did the words come out in Spanish on the bottom? Okay, yo no sé lo que está pasando aquí. Yo no sé lo que está pasando. Oh my gosh, the white guy spoke Spanish. He was Latino. Oh my gosh. It's not just his kids. He's really Latino, honey. Some of you have permission to laugh now, right? Uh, I'm never getting invited back. That's why there's only five people raise their hand. Have you ever heard Pastor Alberto before? I'm so glad my wife's not here today, right? And so that the reason that God placed David under King Saul, because very deep within the innermost parts of David's heart was the King Saul. And the only way to kill it was to put somebody over him that displayed the very things that were hidden in his heart. And so some of you have really dealt coming into this place from church hurt. Some of you have rightfully been hurt. Some of you have rightfully been experiencing some church hurt in your life, and you've questioned the authenticity of that. You, you've questioned the authorship of God. You've questioned his sovereignty, and, and, and you've blamed yourself in many, in many particular areas of that story. But, it, but could it quite possibly be, just quite possibly be, that maybe the reason that God put you under the place that you were at that hurt you is because he needed to burn something out of you and extract something out of you because where he was taking you, you could not bring that with you. You know, I just think of this story, Peter, when he discovered the Messiah, when he discovered Jesus in front of him, and, 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 and he, he knew that this was the way, and this was the guy, and he gets ready to follow Jesus. The Bible says that immediately he dropped his nets. Immediately he let go of his nets, and he followed Jesus. You see, that was symbolic, that he let go of his past, he let go of his prayer, he let go of everything. Can you imagine Peter trying to drag his nets and follow Jesus? Can you imagine Peter trying to drag that drama? Peter trying to drag that lifestyle? Peter trying to drag that? At some point, Peter would get so tired and so weighed down of what he was carrying that he would say, Jesus, you go on ahead. I'll, be, I'll take an Uber to get there. Don't trip, I got you. But he let go because where Peter was going, he could not bring that with him. 
Where you are, you couldn't bring that with you. And where you're going, you couldn't have taken that with you as well. Number eight is learn the art of longevity. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The implication in that is that weariness will come in doing good. You know, Chris so eloquently preached on that and filled with the spirit about Hannah of what was coming and the weariness and the attacks that were coming on. But we need to learn the art of longevity, of saying, of letting our yes be yes and our no's be no's, of committing to and seeing through what we said we were going to do along this journey. And I'm going to go right to, the, to number nine as the worship team um, they can come up and begin to play something really romantic. That'd be great as they close this. Come on, let's give it up for the worship team, y'all. They're crushing it. I always say this as leaders. You need community too. I've heard it said that leadership is lonely. That it's lonely at the top. And I'm like, then people must not like you. Because I don't feel alone. I mean, there might be some decisions that I have to make that I have to bear the weight of it alone. But I know that I have a crew of people behind me that are willing to lift up my arms in that decision that I make. I know that I got a tribe of people. We need community too because you suffer in isolation, but we heal in community. For those people that are saying, man, I don't need the church. I just mean Jesus. My ride or die till the wheels fall off. Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need community. You know what that's like saying? Let me just tell you what that's like saying. If you came to me and you said, hey, uh, Alberto, uh, I really like you, man. I just don't like you. I love you, man. You are incredible. You are awesome. But your wife, not so much. I'm going to knock you out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Put my credentials on the table and we're going to go handle it. I'm just kidding. credentials on the table no, but the reality is is it's a disconnect you see you can't love me and accept me and not my wife because we're a package that's my bride so many times we say well I don't need I don't need people I just need me and Jesus so the wheels fall off when when you uh, speak against the church of Christ you are speaking against his bride you cannot say Jesus I love you but I don't love your church because they are a partnership and they go hand in hand we suffer in isolation but we heal in community and you cannot heal what you're not willing to reveal somewhere along the church history line we have missed it We've, we, the church is a hospital for the sick, but we say only for those who don't know Jesus because once you know Jesus, you better get your caca together. The translation for that, it's uh, your poop. You better get it together. The gospel is not just for the unsaved and for the unchurched, it is for us as well. This grace is for us as well. This mercy is for us as well. We can't talk about an authentic God and an authentic creator and the authentic atonement on the cross and the resurrection and not be authentic followers of the way. Freely you've received, therefore freely you give. This world is not looking for another bumper sticker. They're not looking for another event. 
They're not looking for another show. They're not looking for laser lights. They're not looking for smoke. They're not looking for who's the latest on the speaker conference circuit. What they are looking for is authentic people who are broken and have been put together by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, that's a good place to give God a shout of praise. And you, my friends, are the culture carriers. You carry the culture. You carry the DNA. Your city is growing. The population sign when I drove in said 26,162 and a third. I don't know who the third was, but he's not that tall. But nonetheless, imagine that God makes this an epicenter of one of the greatest revivals we've ever seen because of what we carry. Because of what we carry. Leonard Ravenhill said this, revival does not take place in the pew. He said revival gives birth in the heart and from the heart it flows into every aspect and every area of our lives in our city. Revival is not a service, it is a way of life. You can have revival services until you're black and blue in the face, but if when you walk out of that revival, that community ain't transformed, you didn't have revival, you just had a cute service. And lastly, as leaders, we need to learn the art of rest. You aren't Jesus, but even Jesus rested. Jesus will fall asleep on a boat in the storm. He'd be like, I'm done with y'all. I don't even need no melatonin. I'm, I'm out. Even God rested on the seventh day. I hear people say, the last church I was at, they burnt me out. The last church I was at, they just worked me out all over. The, I was burning the candle at both ends. I go, oh, so wait, hold up. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let me put some Jesus in this. Hold up. You mean to tell me the last church you were at burnt you out? Yes, they did. You mean that they took advantage of you? Yes, they did. And I, this is what I like to say. Well, who's the one that gave him all of that real estate to begin with? Who gave him that much access into your life and into your mind and into your schedule? Sometimes as leaders, the strongest thing you can say is no. Yeah. No. Because we want healthy leaders, not burnt out leaders. Healthy leaders, not burden eat leaders. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. During worship, I felt like this aligns with what Pastor Chris was saying. I just had this thought during worship. I felt like the Holy Spirit was stirring something, but you know, I, I remember that um, I was pastoring a few years ago in Sacramento. We were living in Rockland, and we, uh, we were pastoring in South Sac. And the, the distance between South Sac and Rockland is like 45 minutes. You know, the way I drive, like 15. And I'll never forget it. My son was home with a sitter because he wasn't feeling too well. And it was the third service. And I remember my phone just blowing up and my wife's leading worship. And I remember like I saw somebody come and take her side stage in the middle. She was like, Hosanna! And I just like stripped over there. She was in the middle of Hosanna. She done lost that key. They just pulled her. And I looked at my phone and it was my babysitter. And it was a photo of my son's arm. But it wasn't normal. It was like this. And she texted me. She's like, I think he broke his arm. And so I immediately went into panic mode. And I, and I knew we had to go to the hospital, go to pick him up, take him to the hospital. So I remember I get in the car. And I'm driving home to Rockland. And as I'm driving home to Rockland, wouldn't you know, I get pulled over by CHP. 
and I get pulled over and he's like, you're speeding. I'm like, I know, I know. Tell me something I know, right? Why are you speeding? That's like my son broke his arm. I'm like, I'm not playing. He's like, I have a picture of it in a text. He's like, let me see it. So he saw the text. He let me go. I kept going. I get home, take, pick up my son, take him to the hospital. I feel bad. He's three years old at this time. His arm is just like, just all funky. Like it was just like a Mr. Potato Head. Like it was just weird. And they do x-rays and then they come back and the doctor comes in the room and he puts the x-ray on that light screen. You know what I'm talking about? Like the box and he turns it on and he looks at it and he looks at me and he looks at it and he looks at me. And then he, I said, would you stop looking and just tell me what's going on? He goes, well, it's broken. I'm like, you done charged me like a quarter of a million dollars right now to done tell me what I already knew, Dr. Seuss, right? <laughs> it was broke. He's three years old. The doctor says, we're going to have to put a cast on him for about six to eight weeks. And I said, what? He said, yeah, it's going to have to put a cast on him. I was like, Wait, 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 a three-year-old is going to have this full arm cast. This kid's got so much energy. Monster made the drink because of him. They just modeled him. Like, this kid has wings so he can fly. Like, he is Red Bull. And I'm like, but he's going to be limited. He's not going to be able to, to do things. He's so active, doctor. Six to eight weeks. Can we speed this up like two weeks and put an ace bandage on it? This is what he said to me. He says, I understand but you need to know that this cast, what it's going to do, I know it's gonna place a limitation on him, but you see that limitation is going to allow that bone to come into alignment and to be healed. And so although he's going to be limited for six to eight months, that limitation is going to bring alignment. That alignment is going to bring healing. And when we remove that cast, that bone is going to be a lot stronger than it was to begin with. And he's going to have the freedom to run wild and break it again. No, I'm just going to say at the end. And I share that with you because I sense it for many of you in this room. You felt limited in this past season. You felt limited in a certain area of your life, limited in your ministry, limited in a business venture, limited with the relationship with your children, limited even in your marriage. You felt the strains of limitation. And God said, you see, I, I had to bring limitation in one season so that I could bring alignment in this season because where there is alignment, that is where the anointing is released for the assignments. You see, it is the anointing oil that flows from the head of Aaron down to his beard to the train of his robe. What that psalm speaks of is alignment. Where there is no alignment, there is no anointing for the assignment. So you might have felt limited in one season, but maybe God brought me here to say, that the limits are coming off and in this next season you are not going to survive but you are going to thrive come on if you believe that stand to your feet and i want you to give god your best shout of praise come on you can do better than that the limitations are coming off it's a new season it's a new day from surviving to thriving Thriving in your marriage, thriving in your finances, thriving in your business, thriving in your education, thriving in your relationships, thriving as a church, thriving in this city, all for the glory of God. I know Pastor Chris, he's like, I want a TED talk, and I brought like Ted and some friends. I'm sorry. He, he didn't say that. 
But this is it. This is over. The conference is about to be over. And tomorrow is another day and we're going to serve and jump back into the grind. But this moment in this space and this time is here for you. I mean, if you made the decision at four o'clock on a Saturday to give up three hours of your day, which if you have children, you gave up more because you had to get not only yourself ready, but all these other munchkins in your house. There were so many of you had to make some sacrifice to be here. Some of you gave up your off time to be here. And, and if you made the decision to walk into this room and to give up so much to be here today, then you need to get everything that God has for you tonight. You know, it's interesting, Paul, at the end of his life, he said, my life, he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He was basically saying, my life is coming to an end and I'm being poured out as a drink offering. The only reason that Paul could be poured out as a drink offering is because he allowed the Holy Spirit to pour in to him. You cannot pour what has not been poured into you. And so if you're in this room, these next few moments, the worship team is going to lead us into a song. And if you're in this room and this message resonated for you, to you, if you're in this room and you're like, man, I need more of you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I sense the alignment. Holy Spirit, reveal some things to me. Holy Spirit, let this be the year that you release the anointing because I'm ready. Put me in, coach. I've been on the sidelines too long and I'm ready to get back into the game. If that's you, and you just want to lay it all out. Or maybe something else you're just saying, you know what, Espíritu Santo, tú sabes que yo te necesito en este momento. Necesito que llenas mi corazón, mi mente. Señor, necesito que, que sanas mi, mi, mi vida y mi, mi, mis pensamientos. That came out in English, right, God? But if that's you, I'm going to encourage you to take one more step. I'm going to count to three. I don't know how y'all do it at your house. There's nothing magical in the number of three. Like, it's not, like dust isn't going to fall out. There's not going to be like lasers or anything. But if you want to spend time with the Spirit of God here at the altar, if you want to respond and be filled with what He has for you and just get alone with Him and just be you and Him, as Pastor Chris said, let's focus on Him because He's focused on you. On the count of three, I just want you to come up and let's fill this altar. One, two, three. That's you. Just come up. Just come up. Just come up. There ain't no shame in the game. Just get filled. Let it be a time with you and Jesus. Let it be a time with you and the Holy Spirit. Let it be a time where he refreshes, where he revitalizes, where he renews. He's in the business of renewal. He renews all things. He makes all things new, as the book of Revelation says. He's making things new right now. He says, I stand at the door of your heart, and I knock. And if anybody would answer and open the door and allow me to come in, that I would dine with him. He's not speaking to the lost. He was speaking to the church. He said, you've done church without me. You've done church the way that you wanted to. But I want to come in, and I want to be the church, and I want to be the light of the world, and I want to light up this church, and I want to light up this city, and I want to dine with you. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven. Father, I just pray right now. Father, wherever we are at, that you'd fill us afresh. Father, I pray that you begin to heal hearts, begin to heal minds. God, we thank you that you've been bringing alignment. We thank you that you've brought alignment. We thank you that you're releasing the anointing for the assignment. We thank you that the anointing oil flows from the top of Aaron's head to the bottom of his beard, to the train of his robe. God, we pray that your glory would come in this place, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to destroy what we want, Lord, and that you would move and that you would be glorified. Come on, just begin to worship him. Come on, as the worship team sings, thank you, Jesus. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.